I'm Megan. And I'm Christy. And I'm Auntie B. And this is Homebrew Murder Crew. Happy New Year, everybody. I hope you all enjoyed your holidays, however you celebrate. Thanks for coming back after our messy holiday special. <laughs> it was a lot of fun, though. It was a lot of yeah. fun. Yeah. It was just, it was definitely like different layout than we normally do. So uh, we hope you guys enjoyed that anyways. Also, I probably had a little bit more wine than I needed to. Yes. That episode. I could not get words right to save my life. <laughs> yeah, you were a hot mess. <laughs> we all kind of were. That was a good one. Though. Oh, it was oh, fun. One of the holidays about what, uh, get together with friends and have a good time. That's right. That's right. So um, yeah, here we are. It's the new year, 2022. Oh, by the way, where 2021 go? I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah, we're excited for what the new year is going to bring for the podcast here. So absolutely, I'm yeah. so excited to dive into this in the new year with you guys and absolutely. make this more of a regular thing. Yeah, for absolutely. sure. Hopefully, bring you guys maybe some more episodes more frequently. We definitely <coughs> have some tricks up our sleeve for 2022. Mm-hmm. So stay tuned. Big news in the true crime world. Oh, there's oh, lots yeah. of there's big lots news. of big news. Yeah. Uh, Ghislaine Maxwell. Oh, yeah. That bitch is guilty. Yeah. Bye. Uh-huh. <laughs> As if there was ever any doubt. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. But that was well deserved. There's Absolutely. also other news, Megan. Mm-hmm. I know you're yeah. very excited about this. When I found this out, I was so ragey. I posted it everywhere. You know? <laughs> I was like, all capitals posting it on I, my like, Facebook. I go page. to my phone and all of a sudden there's like 20 notifications in our little chat. Yeah. I'm like, what is happening? What just happened? Yeah. <laughs> and it's all Megan. Oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah. So if you haven't heard, the evidence in the West Memphis 3 case has been recovered. So previously, the Arkansas Police Department said it had been destroyed in a fire, which was they were never able to confirm with the Arkansas Fire Department. But recently, it has turned up, all of it. Every piece of evidence in that case has now been turned over to Damien's attorneys. Insane. And it's all going to be tested, and hopefully we'll finally get some answers. A lot of people in the police department are probably... Shitting their pants. Shitting their pants yeah. right As now. they fucking yeah. should be. Sorry, pol- it's about yeah. time that this stuff just finally magically appeared. Yep. The right. chief but, of police even resigned after this yeah, happened. That's right. There's talks of a big cover-up now. And uh, I am not really, surprising. I'm not surprised. Yeah. I was so mad when I saw it, though. Like, Yeah. Uh, and we haven't covered this case yet, but we well, are we going will. to. Megan's going to bring us that story in the next yeah. few weeks here, I think. Yeah. So if you listen to our first episode, I believe I mentioned that that was the case for me that started my whole passion passion obsession with the world of true crime so big news big news for for me for everybody that has been following the case for us like yeah stay tuned we will be bringing updates as they come in of course it's gonna be wild yeah stay tuned for our episode it's probably gonna be a multi-parter because it had it's just such a huge case there's so there's so much to unpack so much to unpack we also speaking of unpacking 
We unpacked a new batch of wine tonight. Oh, oh yes, yeah. yeah, so we did. So we're doing a cab sav. It's going to be super duper oaky because I think we put like three packets of oak in there. And well, uh, Megan put like one of the packs basically on me. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Just like it. throws it in. Uh, I'm here. So two and a half packs <laughs> of oak powder went into that bad boy. Yeah. So, so yeah, we got a couple weeks to go. A few weeks, four weeks to go oh, on that guys, one. I'm so excited. Yeah, it's it's going to be, be good. I know all my wine's gone from the last batch we bottled. I yeah, my shoe. I've opened one bottle. Uh, I should have brought one, bitch. I should have brought one. <laughs> I think I've got six left because I gave two, maybe three away. Yeah for gifts for the holidays to some co-workers yeah. but for those of you that don't know how to make wine it is fairly simple right ladies like oh yeah it's really not is. that hard like we got our kit from you got yours from marketplace from facebook marketplace yeah facebook and, marketplace yeah i had somebody give me a bunch that i got a she didn't although i don't have lids i need to figure out the lid situation for yeah i just picked <clears> up another like kit from marketplace not the one that we use but i think now we've got like too many enough. we've we got enough, enough that yeah. we could start our own freaking wine yeah. but like i've been a um like a box of wine mix i guess you could say is like 50 bucks canadian on average and it yields like 27 almost, yeah, almost 30 bottles, bottles of wine yeah so it ends up being like almost and it bucks. takes some time when you first get started at right. it but like what's pros now we had to start overlapping our batches. Yeah, and then we're gonna start... be continuously have wine, like never-ending supply of wine. And when you get in the ha like the mm -hmm. the habit of it or like the routine of it, it's actually not that difficult. It's mm -hmm. kind of like we went from taking an hour yeah. to do the first step and to get wine started to now we just did it in like 10, 15 minutes. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> And uh, it doesn't take up a lot of. With it being the new year, we're just on Christmas. We're just on New Year's. How is everybody doing with their mental health? How are you doing, Miss Megan? Let's do a mental health check-in. Oh, man. So, I'm doing all right. I've been really bad with my medications. Megan. I know. I know. So, I've been feeling kind of ragey this last couple mm. of days because that's instantly what happens <clears throat> is that... Like, I, I start to get angry at the littlest thing. Girl, like, how late? <laughs> last night, I was Same trying here. to watch a documentary on the episode that we're working, that we're going to, yeah. the episode that we're working on right now. But my TV kept switching from HDMI 1 to HDMI 2, and it kept, anyways, I got so angry, and I was like, why am I so mad? And then I remembered that it's because I haven't been so great with my medication, so. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, like, I've just been really busy and it's kind of hard to, you know, like sit there and wallow in your depression and anxiety when you're keeping busy. It mm -hmm. helps a lot. So. And what about you, Miss Christy? How oh, is your mental health during these days? It's like, it's manageable, but um, I mean, I'm bad at taking my medication too. I need it in like a more accessible place where I see it every single day. I want to grab both I of your to... heads and bang them together like but i nuts. also need to keep my medications out of reach you know it has child proof you know thing on it or lit on it like he's a smart kid and like all our child proof shit he can just get into anyways um, really because i haven't figured out some of your right? yeah, child proof no, stuff yet smart. yeah but um, how do you open this cupboard yeah. <laughs> and uh yeah just with 
Christmas and the holidays just I mean I'm so I'm so over COVID and like uh-huh. it's just been such a point of contention with my family over the holidays that oh, I just I hear that man mm-hmm. man it's just, just a tiring conversation yeah. how are you doing Brittany I'm good. I'm good. I mean, I have some time off from work. Uh, I had some time off from work over the holidays. So that was nice to kind of hit recharge. But I mean, for me, I think right now, like you said, the COVID is just starting to get to me. You know, I work from home still, which uh, don't get me wrong. I am very thankful for. I like working from home. Um, But it's really the only silver lining to this whole COVID thing right now. And I just find everybody who wants to talk about it it always just turns into kind of more of an argument so i'm just kind of feeling a little isolated you know there's not much to do and you know kyle's out working or he's home and when he's home it's good but it can get a little bit lonely sometimes when i'm sitting at home by myself in the evening but it's been very helpful to have you ladies to reach out in those mm-hmm. moments yeah i love our little i chat. love our little yeah. our little talks and whatnot and knowing that i had this to do this week too having this to look forward to yeah. you know it's it, it is really important and it's a nice reminder especially tonight how important your friends and your support system are Absolutely. it can take you from feeling this low no, our audience can't see, but my hands on the ground to feeling so much better and feeling like a yeah. human being again. Yeah. So thank you, ladies, for that. Uh, I appreciate you. it. Thank and thank you, audience, for being here to tune in to yet another episode with the Homebrew Murder Crew gang. And without further ado, yes, since you guys have listened to our ramblings for the last ten minutes, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Why don't you tell us what you have for us today? All right. So I have chosen to tell you guys about the case of Catherine Knight. If you guys aren't familiar with her, you're in for a, I don't want to say treat, because it's the opposite of a treat. Let me tell (laughs) you, this is, yeah, this is, this is a heavy one. It's it's a, it's a full course meal if I'm not. Jesus, we're going to hell. But um, <laughs> anyway, we're just going to stash that one. The case of Catherine Knight. Catherine Mary Knight was born and raised in an unconventional and dysfunctional family environment. Her mother, Barbara Rohan, was married to a man named Jack Rohan before she married Catherine's father. Barbara and Jack lived in the small town of Aberdeen in New South Wales, Hunter Valley, Australia and had four sons. But after Barbara had an affair with a co-worker of Jack's named Ken Knight, they divorced. Two of their sons went to live with Jack, while the other two went to live with an aunt in Sydney. I wasn't able to find any information as to why none of the children lived with Barbara, but I'm Hmm. sure there was a good reason. Probably, yeah. Barbara and Ken Knight married, and the couple moved to Moree, a town in Moree Plainshire in northern New South Wales, Australia, to escape the backlash they faced when their affair became a major scandal in the small town of Aberdeen. Together, they had four children, including two twin daughters, who were born on October 24th, 1955. The youngest of the twins was Catherine Mary Knight. After the death of Barbara's ex-husband, Jack, in 1959, the two boys who had gone to live with him went went to Marie to live with Barbara and Jack and their four children. 
The relationship between Catherine's parents, Barbara and Ken, was volatile to say the least. Ken was an alcoholic and often openly abused and raped his wife, Barbara, multiple times Jesus. a day. Like it even, I read somewhere that it was like 10 plus times a day. Oh my God. Like it was violent and just awful. That's oh, yeah. terrible. Barbara often went into intimate details with her twin daughters about her sex life and her hate for men and sex. Okay. Oh, it's called it, therapy on yep. children. <laughs> this would be the beginning of Catherine's rage towards the male population. Mm. As Catherine got older, she made claims that she had been frequently sexual assaulted by male relatives. Just to be clear, not her father, Ken. Absolutely, he did not. There was never any allegations against mm. him. And despite her mother's disbelief that these were proven fact and confirmed by multiple members of their family. Really? Her own mother said that she was lying. Like, as somebody as somebody who's like violently raped by her own husband and mm -hmm. you're not believing your daughter, like yeah, Catherine, sit right with me. Catherine's view on men and relationships was greatly obscured by her mother, Barbara. Yeah. Despite the the rape and her opening up to her young daughters about how she hated men and sex, when Catherine tried to confide in her mother at one point about a partner of hers that was trying to force her into having sex, Barbara responded to Catherine by telling her to suck it up. It was her duty. Jesus. Oh, it's her duty? It was her duty. I've never wanted to hit someone so bad. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, during her teen years, Catherine had a dual personality when it came to school. She was half parts a model student and half parts a bully. She would bully other students. She would pick fights with the teacher. She was once injured by a teacher that was defending themselves against oh, wow. her she would the smallest little thing would send her into a violent rage she wouldn't take your meds yeah <laughs> megan <Hey. laughs> christy yeah. but at times she was also the model student she right. you know worked really hard in school yeah. she got good grades but despite that she ended up dropping out at 15 and she ended up leaving school with very little reading and writing skills hmm. So despite Catherine's fail, failure at the academics, she was a hard worker and took pride in her job. After leaving school at 15, she started a job as a cutter for a clothing factory. Um, after a year of doing that, she moved to what she would refer to as her, quote, dream job, unquote, cutting up entrails at a <laughs> local abattoir. Oh, so far, like cutting up what? I would have been such a hit. You guys should have seen Brittany's face. <laughs> yeah. there. She was just it's like, like cutting up what? Yeah, so cutting up entrails and organs at a, a local abattoir. So I had to Google it because abattoir is not quite like that's not what we call it here mm -hmm. in Canada. So it's it's a slaughterhouse. Okay. Mm. Yeah, abattoir is so much more bougie. I know, <laughs> so bougie. Here forward, I am going to refer to it as an abattoir. <laughs> but for those of you in America, that is a slaughterhouse. A slaughterhouse. Let's be real, dead like, ass slaughterhouse. Those are like those two words have the same meaning, yeah, but they, they are just like they read very, very differently. <laughs> she 
started off by cutting up the entrails and internal organs. Uh, she eventually got promoted to a position of boning. <laughs> Please. Wow. Wow. The fact that all three of us laughed at that. We need to just grow up a slight bit. Get it, girl. Get it. Boning. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I can't say it without laughing. We're going to move on. And uh, as as a gift, she was given her first set of butcher's knives, which she hung over her bed at home so that they would, and I quote, always be handy if I needed them, unquote. Okay, this is so funny because I, I just have to, oh my God. So remember our last episode and we were talking about um, the boy being afraid of like the knives coming out of yes. the ceiling? Oh yeah. yeah. And you're like, to be fair, I am too now. Yeah, yeah definitely. But here Catherine Knight's just fucking like yeah. adorning her. Yeah. <laughs> with these knives. Holy. Yep. They were like her most prized possession. They would remain over her bed at multiple different homes for well, like forever. So that would scare me having a knife, a, a butcher's knife on my wall. A set of butcher's Over knives. my head where I sleep. What if like what if it came off the wall at some yeah. point? <laughs> like, yeah. that's where my mind goes. Yeah. So her career at the abattoir mm. as a butcher became an extension of her existence. She loved her job and she was good at it. So in 1973, Catherine started a relationship with a co-worker named David Collette. David, like Catherine's father, was a heavy drinker, and he would often get into fisticuffs at the bar. Fisticuffs. <laughs> and uh, but he would lose every time. Catherine, who was, if you could guess it, a rough and tumble kind of gal, mm -hmm. uh, would often jump in and defend him with her fists. Oh, emasculating. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I just wanted to add that I I discovered that in my research here that David's drinking was a result of a lot of past trauma. Mm. And uh, at a previous job, he witnessed his best friend being killed on the job. Yikes. And he once heroically rescued a bunch of children from a bus that he had witnessed being struck by a train. My God. What? Despite his efforts, six of those children did not make it. Jeez. Oh, so this resulted in him losing his job, his career, because of his deteriorating mental health. Wow. And he ended up working at the abattoir in Aberdeen, where he met Catherine. Oh, yeah. After a year of, uh, just after just a year of dating in 1974, the couple decided to get married. They arrived at their wedding ceremony on a motorcycle that was driven by an intoxicated David. Oh my God. <laughs> Before they exchanged their nuptials, however, Catherine's mother, Barbara, took David aside to warn him that her daughter had a few screws loose. Those are the toitest nuts. Yeah. So I have an exact quote of what she told him. And I quote, you better watch out for this one. She'll fucking kill you. Stir her up the wrong way or do the wrong thing and you're fucked. Don't ever think of playing up on her. She'll fucking kill you. Unquote. And sorry, who said this? Her mother. Oh, fuck. Her own yes. mom. <laughs> her own mother. So despite this very alarming warning 
from her own mother, they went forward with the marriage. Could you imagine your mom getting up and giving a speech like that? Right. right. Like you're just like, uh-huh. <laughs> he's still there. I wouldn't. I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if my <laughs> yeah. mom did. Yeah. I've given her plenty of reason to do something <laughs> like that. As promised on their wedding night, Catherine attempted to strangle her new husband after he fell asleep after only performing sex three times. Oh that was God. not enough for Catherine. Apparently. Geez. She's a professional boner, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Oh, boy. But I'm... <laughs> I'm the worst. <laughs> oh, God. She did not kill him, though, thankfully. <laughs> but this was just one example of the violent behavior that Catherine not only had towards her first husband... But the violence that she would have in every relationship that followed and probably the relationships that she had prior to this. Mm -hmm. Catherine became pregnant in 1976 with their first child. And one time, while heavily pregnant, David arrived home late from a darts final where he had him, his like team had made the finals. Mm -hmm. And so they had to stay a little bit later. When he arrived home, he found that Catherine had set his clothes and his shoes on fire. But he just settled in at home, and she came up behind him and whacked him in the head with a frying pan. Jeez. Which would not be the first time that we're going to hear that she's done this to a boyfriend. He managed to flee the home to a neighbor's, but when the law enforcement arrived, because the neighbor called them, um, he refused to press charges. Because he's fucking scared of her. Yeah. But <laughs> well, yeah. I know that he got that warning. But once Catherine had given birth to their first daughter, that they called Melissa, David left her for another woman and moved to Queensland. Get it, David? Leaving his newborn child with this psychotic woman. Yeah, I mean that's not not great. Yeah, Catherine became enraged as her mother warned him that she would. And she took her violence out on her infant daughter. No. No. Yeah. So her daughter was only two months old when these incidents happened. But she was witnessed walking down the street with Melissa in a carriage. And she was violently tossing the carriage back and forth down the street while she walked. And witnesses had called the police. And she was taken in for a psych evaluation. Uh, But they didn't keep her. She was released. I want to just take that little baby and just... Yeah. So after a medical examination, it was determined that Catherine suffered from postpartum depression. But (laughs) after... There's a few other things she might be suffering from, too. Yeah. (laughs) After being reunited with her daughter just a few days later, she laid her newborn baby across the train tracks where the trains came through at a like a oh my god like hauling coal and the baby was narrowly rescued by a man called quote old ted as a train was just seconds away from running over so sidebar there because like you're talking about postpartum depression like such a very real thing as somebody who's you know had that recently like em was born in may 2020 and um i remember just struggling so severely and it wasn't until like my six week postpartum checkup that i finally asked for help because i didn't want to impose myself on anybody stupid stupid i know if you need the help get the help but postpartum depression very real thing especially if you're already dealing with like anger and like so much hate in your heart absolutely like that's just gonna escalate it and Mm -hmm. oh yeah 
like I like I don't ever want to be that person that like takes like that that is like oh it's not true but I after doing all the research on this Catherine is definitely a sociopath yeah. and probably incapable of having real feelings right. she was just mad that her that her boyfriend left or yeah. her husband I guess I should say left her for another woman right. and this is how she chose to get back at him yeah but uh back to the story while her infant daughter was being rescued by old Ted she had found an axe and was waving it around threatening to kill people why are why are axes just why are she's doing this just after getting custody back of her daughter no i know you're yielding a freaking axe and... Ax, yep that, okay like yeah. axes are as abundant as just like twigs falling well right i know <laughs> yeah but luckily nobody was injured and she was taken back to the uh the hospital for another psych evaluation because the first one went so great apparently yeah. yeah she was released the next day though like they're like here have a stick yeah exactly she was released the next day oh you've calmed down yeah, okay she bye given her child back like it was just like they totally failed for sure on this one uh, so a few days following her release, she was picked up again after slashing a woman's face with her butcher knives oh and God. holding her at knife point and demanded that she this woman drive her to Queensland to find David. The woman only escaped when they stopped at a service station to get gas. And once she escaped, Catherine took a young boy hostage at knife point and was holding him hostage in the service station. But Luckily, police were able to disarm her with a broom. A broom? <laughs> a broom. They couldn't find an axe. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they disarmed her with the broom. And uh, she was sent back to the psychiatric hospital, which, again, she, she stayed there stay for there. a day. Yeah. Stay long. Oh, my God. Oh so, my. David, back in Queensland with his new girlfriend, was made aware of the incident with his daughter in the train and the events that followed. So, he left his new girlfriend left Queensland and returned to care for Catherine in Aberdeen. Jeez. And in 1980, Catherine and David gave birth to another daughter. Well, Catherine gave birth to another daughter. Um, and then shortly after she, she left David, she moved <laughs> back in with her parents and returned to her job at the abattoir and just left him. And that was the end of that lucky guy. So you put up this big old stink that David left uh, you and yeah. then he comes back and you're like, I feel like that might have been her whole goal. Yeah. <laughs> was to break him only to be like, aha, bye, told you to get you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Following the end of this relationship, her first, this is her first failed marriage, um, Catherine had a lot of failed relationships. She was violent, possessive, and had developed quite a reputation in the small town of Aberdeen for being a fighter and being aggressive and just being an all-around shitty human being. Mm. But in 1986, Catherine began dating a minor named David Saunders. So when I read this, I was like, a minor? Yeah, I was just like, saying. what? Like a minor. Like he worked in a mine. Yeah. yeah. Not like a minor. Like it's not like an underage. Yeah. Yeah. That was like, I read it like five times, but I was like, a minor? It was like, no, it's not spelled. M I N E R. And they kept saying that he was like in his 30s. And I'm like, how is he a minor if he's in his 30s? But that's because I'm a But is the age of consent in Australia? 
Always incognito mode. Always, Always incognito. incognito. <laughs> I never am. I'm so screwed if I ever get like <laughs> the cops ever go through any of my electronic oh, devices. I'm so fucked. Her toxic behavior began almost right away with David. She became paranoid that he may be cheating on her and to show him what she was capable of. And I'm like, this is, I'm going to warn you guys ahead of time. This is, this is awful. Like, this is just awful. To show him that what she was capable of, she slit the throat of David's two-month-old dingo puppy. (gasps) No! Puppy. She then knocked David out with a frying pan. (laughs) She knocked him out this time. Despite this, they remained in a relationship. What? Yeah, they even had a child together. What? Another daughter that they named Sarah. Oh my god. <laughs> what is wrong with yeah. people? But Catherine began to decorate their home with some of the most bizarre things like pitchforks, machetes, axes. Old boots. Okay. Let's <laughs> talk about red flags, you guys. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. As if the knives over the bed wasn't enough. Pitchforks, machetes, old boots, rusty old animal traps, animal skulls, and animal skins. Oh, God. Yes. David was not very happy about this. And in 1989... (laughs) They didn't agree with that feng shui. So in 1989, during a very big heated argument, Catherine stabbed David in the stomach with a pair of scissors. I was hoping you were going to say pitchfork. I'm not going to lie. But then I'm like, (laughs) why would I hope for that? (laughs) But I mean... (laughs) No, no, no. The pitchforks are decoration. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Decoration only. Not a good china. She used a pair of scissors. Come on. David managed to escape to, he actually still had his old apartment in a nearby town called Scone. And he Mm, escaped to his apartment. And uh, he returned a few days later to find that Catherine had cut up all of his clothing. He took a leave of absence from work at the mine and disappeared. Maybe he just went into hiding to get away from her crazy ass. That's exactly what that's exactly yeah. what he did. After David, Catherine began a sexual relationship with an old co-worker of hers from the abattoir named John Chillingworth, which uh, resulted in the birth of her first and only son. Keeping track, she now has four children, three daughters and one son. This relationship only lasted three years before Catherine began an affair with a man named John Price a worker at a local mine and a divorced father of three with whom he had custody of two of those children. The third one remained with his ex-wife. Catherine left David again, lucky guy moving in with John and his children in 1995. Catherine and John began a whirlwind of a relationship. Of course. Is there any other type with Catherine? Yeah. And despite her reputation of being violent, John allowed Catherine to move in with him and his children, which, by the Sounds way, smart. yeah, it's been reported that that uh, his children loved Catherine. What? What? Yeah, yeah. Apparently, they loved her. So, uh, like, they had her four kids, his three, uh, two kids, I should say, living in this house together. Things between the couple were, I guess, relatively all right. Mm-hmm. It was she. She never changed. She was always violent, paranoid, possessive, psychotic. But uh, the relationship went pretty all right. Catherine, of course, continued all of her toxic behaviors with John. But it wasn't until 1998 when things came to a head between them. After a rager uh, over John's refusal to marry Catherine, Catherine filmed a bunch of items in John's home that he had taken from the mine Mm -hmm. without permission. And then 
mailed these, oh. this video footage to his bosses and to the owners of the mine. That. Remember that part. Despite the fact that these were, like, for example, there was a first aid kit. It yeah. was expired. It was basically trash that he, uh, he, he picked trash up out of the garbage. Right. But despite this, John was fired from his job at the mine. A job that he had held for 17 what? years. What? Wow. So she's vindictive on top of it yeah. all, too. Excellent. A job where he had an excellent reputation uh, for being a hard and dedicated worker. All because of that fucking bitch, Catherine. Wow. John kicked Catherine out of the home and she returned to her own hole of a home, (laughs) which was decorated in the same kind of fashion as the home that she had lived in. Pitchforks and knives and bear traps and skulls. Yeah. yeah. Uh, The news of what she had done to John spread very quickly quickly in the small town of Aberdeen. It was a very small, tight-knit community. There was no Mm -hmm. secrets. Everybody knew everybody's business. Uh, John's acquaintances and friends were livid, but relieved to hear that he had ended the relationship with the toxic and violent Catherine. Vile, too. Vile. She was a vile woman, yeah. Mm -hmm. However, this only lasted a few months before John took her back. Guys! Oh, my God. He didn't allow her to move back into the home. But they did pick up their relationship where they left off. And many of John's friends had had enough and turned their backs on him. He even was forced to find a new local drinking, like, watering hole. Because he couldn't bring her there. They basically were like, we're done with you. She's barred. They were no longer welcome. Mm -hmm. After they rekindled their relationship, the fighting became more frequent. And Catherine's behavior, if you can believe it, became more violent and concerning Shocking. yeah john started to become paranoid that catherine was going to hurt him and his children and in february 2000 his worries became a reality when during one of her blow-up argument with him catherine stabbed him in the chest john kicked her out of his home patched himself up and in february on february 29th 2000 on his way into work he stopped at the scone magistrate court court and managed to get a restraining order against her in an attempt to keep her away from him and his children mm. did it work yeah I... <laughs> oh, boy, we're gonna get there, guys. yeah. <sighs> that same afternoon he had confided in a co-worker that he had feared for his life and was worried that Catherine was going to kill him told his co-worker that if he didn't return to work the following day that Catherine killed him Wow. Jeez, that is haunting. That it is, is haunting. haunting. It is haunting. This co-worker begged him not to return home that evening, yeah. but John was so worried that Catherine would kill his children oh, that he yeah, had to yeah. go home. I get Can that. Can you imagine yeah. the fear yeah. that must be burning inside of him? Just like, am I going to die tonight? Yeah. I had a shitty ex, and I had left to go camping with my mom, and I had to leave my cat with him, and oh. I was so afraid, like... I remember that because yeah. I thought that he was going to kill my cat. And so yeah. we had to cut our camping trip short because I was so afraid I that he was going to kill my yeah. cat. Yeah. I mean, like, I can't compare this at all to a living creature, but I did have an ex that came into my home and killed one of my plants. Right. Like, I'm, I'm laughing. It's not funny. And I can't in any way compare it to a child or an but animal. It had a name. But he lit. Yeah, his name is Phil. And he works so hard on it. I know. Yeah. He literally came into my home uninvited and ripped the root like ripped him out by the roots yeah i was so devastated it's such like such an invasion of yeah 
But luckily, when John arrived home, he found the house empty. And he found out really quickly that Catherine had sent the children to a friend's house for a sleepover. They were safe. And she was nowhere to be found. So he spent the night living in a false sense of security. He went to a neighbor's house. They had some drinks. They, you know, they hung out. And around 11 p.m., he returned home and went to bed. When he was sleeping, Catherine returned to his home. She sat in the living room for a short while, watching TV, before she went to the bedroom and woke John up and they had sex. After this, another fight ensued. And as John had feared, he would not be making it to work the next morning or ever again, for that matter. Oh, no, John. At around 6 a.m. the following day, John's neighbor's neighbor became concerned for John when he noticed that his vehicle was still in the driveway and knew that John was supposed to be at work. His co-worker, who I assume is the same one that he had confided in just the previous day, also became concerned when he didn't arrive to work, jumped in his car and drove to John's right away. Yep. The two, the neighbor and the co-worker, went around the house and knocked on his bedroom window to try and wake him up. And when they went around to the front door, they found blood on the front door oh, no. and instantly called police. First to arrive at the home around 8 a.m. was Constable Scott Matthews and Sergeant Graham Furlonger. Upon arrival, they were also unable to get a response from anyone inside the home. And the blood on the front door, they made the decision to break into the home. Upon entry into the home, they found it dark and quiet. The two officers made their way through the home. Constable Scott Matthew has told his account of what had happened many times in many documentaries and podcasts. It's... It's one of the most disturbing things to listen to is to listen to his account of what happens next. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the first, my my favorite podcast, I'm going to plug my favorite podcast here, the one that got me into podcast case file, mm-hmm. did an episode on it. And even thinking about it right now, I'm getting full body chills, chills because he has actual like, like recording of yeah. um, Constable Scott Matthews talking about and, <sighs> and Sergeant Graham talking about what they found in the home. (laughs) Here we go. The first thing that he noticed, or one of the first things that he noticed, was what he believed to be a curtain hanging in a doorway. When he walked through this doorway, he used his, he remembers exactly every movement that he made, and he remembers pushing it aside with his left arm, and it was kind of heavy, and he felt instant, like, warmness and wetness. (sighs) So he looked down at his arm and noticed that it was bleeding. His initial thought was that he'd injured himself breaking into the home. Right. If only that were true. But the truth was way, way, way more horrifying. Sergeant Graham Furlonger followed him into the, the home and he noticed instantly that it wasn't a curtain at all. It was a human pelt. And that's the thing that sickens me the most is their their use of the word pelt. Yeah. One of the things, Uh. the the very obvious details that he noticed right away was the genitalia. (gasps) Oh, I had a feeling that's where that was going. Honestly, like, listen to the Case File episode on this. It's, yeah. I also found documentary, The Cases That Shook Australia, an episode on it. They're in it as well. Uh, Constable uh, Scott Matthews and Sergeant Graham. 
And this is like, this yeah. is a small town. So this isn't something that yeah. the police Absolutely. would they knew encounter. John. They knew, yeah. they knew John. Yeah. They knew John Price personally. They were familiar with who he was. They were familiar with Catherine Knight. So once Sergeant Furlonger made this dr- grisly discovery, it did not take him long to locate the body. Peering past the human skin hanging in the doorway <laughs> was the body of John Price. No. One of his arms was propped up on a like a two-liter soda bottle, Yikes. and his legs were crossed. It gets way worse. The body was obviously skinned, yeah, and the head was missing. <gasps> and she like yeah. Oh my Ugh. god. Sergeant Graham said that his initial reaction was to call to Constable Scott Matthews and yell, don't look, Scotty. My initial reaction would be to throw up. Yeah. The dynamics of this this duo right. as well is, like, obviously Sergeant uh, Graham was was a more senior mm-hmm. and Constable Scott Matthews was not as senior. Right. And he felt that he needed to protect him. Yeah. But, of course, when you say don't do something, what's what the first do? thing you're going to do? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, of course, as many of us would, Scott looked. They both pulled out their sidearms and instantly went into like, because this is a small town. They they went in there, guns away, whatever, right? right? Like, yeah. They thought it was a curtain hanging in the doorway, yeah. as I feel like we all would. Yeah. They instantly pulled out their si- sidearms and continued their inspection of the home with the goal of locating the missing head in mind. Uh, did anyone check the oven? Oh, wait for it. When Sergeant Graham entered the kitchen... The first thing he noticed was a pot stewing on the stove. And he knew right away without even having to look, the head was in the pot. Oh, yeah. Like, he just knew. And and further inspection of the kitchen, they also found perfectly set up meals on the table. Like, there was meat, there was vegetables, like, there was, like, squash and potatoes and carrots and gravy and this mystery meat. Two plates set up, and there was name cards on them with the names of John John's two children on them. <gasps> no, and like later on, they would also find a third piece of meat discarded in the backyard. There's they're they're still unsure of why they believe it. maybe it was thrown out there for the dog, or or they she also, wanted yeah, to feed him, or she too. tried to eat it and couldn't and threw it out the window. Who knows? Anyways, so cray cray. I forgot to mention this part, but I'm sure you've all figured it out by now that the meat was human meat. And it belonged to John. Right out of silence of the last. Yeah. <laughs> Continuing their their check of the house, they moved towards the bedroom where they could hear snoring coming from the other side of the door. When they entered the room, they found Catherine passed out in the bed, <laughs> surrounded by empty pill bottles. They tried to wake her up. They were unable to wake her. So they carried her body out. They carried her. I don't say body because she's still alive. Yeah. Carried her outside and put her on the front lawn and waited for medical assistance. Catherine was rushed to the hospital. The news of what happened spread quickly through the small town. Once once everybody heard of the, the discovery of John Price's butchered body, it didn't take long for neighbors and friends to come forward to give detectives all the dirty details of John and Catherine's volatile relationship and Catherine's long history of violence towards her partners, not to mention her skills with a butcher knife. Oof. Yeah. Which I'm sure they already knew. Small town. Yeah. There was never a doubt in anybody's mind that Catherine was responsible for this horrific crime. 
During the initial canvas of the crime scene, they discovered a handwritten note on the top of a photo of John Price, which also had little bits of skin and stuff on it, I guess. And it was in Catherine's horrible writing. And it read, and I quote, Time got you back, Jonathan, for wrapping my daughter. You too, Beck, that's the name of one of his daughters, Mm -hmm. for Ross, for little John. Now play with little John's dick, John Price. What the fuck? It's difficult to decipher. Rapping, obviously, was raping. Daughter was spelt wrong. Beck is Price's daughter. Uh, Little John is his son. Anyways. It's basically what it says is that she was accusing him of raping her daughter as well as his own. Mm. This was never proven. There was no yeah. no grounds to back this up. Never has been. Never she's will just be. Paranoid, like you yeah. said, that she was paranoid and like yeah. you know she's had this stuff allegedly happened to her too. So yeah. So this was never proven. As far as I'm concerned, it didn't happen. But mm-hmm. that's my opinion. Uh, Catherine made a full recovery after her attempted overdose, if that was even what it was. Who knows if she was trying to commit suicide or if it, whatever it was that she did with the sleeping pills. Um, she was quickly arrested for the murder of John Price, obviously. Great. Yeah. Catherine rejected her first offer to plead guilty to manslaughter and was arraigned on March 2nd, 2001 for the murder of John Price, to which she entered a plea of not guilty. Yeah, her trial was initially set for July 23rd, 2001, but was adjourned due to her counsel being ill, and it was refixed to October 15th, 2001. When the trial commenced, Justice Barry O'Keefe offered 60 jury prospects the option of being excused due to the nature of the photographic (laughs) evidence. Only five accepted. Several more dropped out, though, after the jury was impaneled. Yeah. After the evidence was presented, they were just like, nope. Bye. (laughs) It turns out I didn't want to see it. Yeah. So (laughs) on one of the first days of the trial, Catherine's attorney approached the judge's bench, spoke to him in private, and the trial was adjourned for the following day. The next day, Catherine changed her plea to guilty and the jury was dismissed. Thank fucking God for that one. It was speculated that Justice O'Keefe was made aware the day before of her decision to change her plea. And he requested an immediate psychiatric evaluation overnight to ensure that she understood the consequences of a guilty plea Mm -hmm. to which it was determined that she was that she was fit to make that choice. Her attorneys planned to claim that that she was insane. But after many psychiatric evaluations, at least two psychiatrists found her to be sane. However, they believed she suffered from borderline personality disorder, which at this time, there wasn't as much detail on that. So it was it was just a disorder. It was a personality trait. It wasn't a mental illness. So they found her sane. So despite her guilty plea, Catherine still refused to take responsibility for her actions. During her hearing, Catherine's attorney requested that Catherine be excused during parts of the reading of statement of facts. Because if you're not familiar, when you plead guilty, instead of having a trial, they just read out a statement of facts where they basically tell the judge everything that happened. Um, uh, Justice O'Keefe denied it. 
he refused. He made her sit through the whole thing. Good. And during the part where the details of the skinning and the decapitation of John was read, Catherine became hysterical and had to be sedated. Oh, like laughing? Or hysterical like panicking okay. like she was like crying gotcha. and screaming okay. and like you know like yeah. not... oh, now you can have a normal human response oh, to skinning and dismembering yeah, sure absolutely they weren't <laughs> buying it but they did sedate her and on november 8th 2001 justice o'keefe pointed out that the horrific nature of the crime and Catherine's lack of remorse warranted the most severe of punishments O'Keefe sentenced Catherine Knight to life imprisonment with no fixed parole uh, parole period and ordered that her file be marked, quote, never to be released, unquote, <laughs> making this the first time in history, in all of history in Australia, where a woman received this kind of punishment. Wow. wow. She only attempted once to appeal her sentence, but was quickly denied by many people. And to this day, Catherine Knight, who is now 66 years old, remains incarcerated at the Clarence Correctional Center in Australia. Jesus. And that's the story of Catherine Mary Knight Wasn't and her she? butchering of her partner. You know what's even... John uh, aside of all this that you've just told us, mm -hmm. you know what's even more alarming to me what's that? is that this all happened 22 years ago. That's <laughs> what I was thinking this yeah. entire time, too, because yeah. when I said the year, yes. I had to remind myself because, you know, I, I have this argument yeah. with, with my boyfriend sometimes. Where it's like, well, you know, statistics say that it's not going to happen. There's no more serial killers in the world. I'm like, no, no, no. Like, you need to realize that just, like, the world isn't as rosy as, oh, like, the absolutely. news and yeah, media exactly. makes it out to be. This stuff very much still happens today. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> if anything, it gets crazier yeah. as the years go like, on. Like, she's still alive. Yeah. yeah. She's still alive out there incarcerated and she's never going to get released thank god yeah. for that one they don't like, have she's still alive do they have the death penalty in australia no I, that way? I, she would have got they, i imagine she would have gotten yeah, it if justice o'keefe said it was like that they were giving yeah. her the most severe punishment if the death penalty was something that was allowed in that time in australia she would have gotten it for sure but like kudos to him for the whole like marking her file as to never be released like yeah no she is she is a danger she was a danger and honestly like his life could have been spared if after the whole incident with her two-month-old daughter and the train tracks and all of that shit had been taken a little more seriously like right. maybe his life could have been spared but exactly unfortunately from like all of the research i've done he was a decent person like, like not only all that but it's like yeah his life could have been spared but like how are the lives of the kids having to I go know. through all this i right? can't even like, imagine how traumatized they are from this and i like <clears throat> just thank god they like she sent them away and that they weren't there right like but she, the, she wanted them to come home and eat eat him. Him. <laughs> him. yeah <laughs> so really right but that's where i have a hard time because it's like she sent them away yes he was so worried that she was going to do something. Mm -hmm. And then he gets home to realize that his kids aren't there and she sent them away for the night, whatever. And he just, that puts his alarm bells down, which I get, I understand. Yeah. 
But that would put off a little bit of red flags to me. Like, why is she sending the kids away? Yeah. Well, remember, too, he went over to a neighbor's and had drinks. So, like, this guy's clearly stressed out. He wants to unwind. He wants to let go of some of the stress. And so he gets a little drunk maybe yeah goes home he's feeling a little bit more confident at that you know and his major concern was the kids so when they weren't there he instantly put his guard down because he wasn't as concerned for his own well-being as he was for the children yeah that is oof and like you telling like the like recounting the um discovery of the human pelt yeah and like they're like the sergeant in the uh, the yeah or whatever like recounting their experience yeah when they're discovering this stuff is like that's something like you can't make this shit up yeah you gotta you gotta listen to the case file episode or watch the documentary where where they actually speak like i'm never gonna be the same yeah and you saying like about the jurors and everything oh yeah i just remind it reminded the podcast um, crime beat yeah nancy hicks on like a more recent one that's um about the the licknesses and douglas garland yeah and nathan o'brien like that's such a sad fucking story but she was actually talking to two of the jurors on that episode yeah and they were recounting of like how brutal it yeah. was to listen to all the details and i always say like oh it'd be so be called for jury call. and you're not knowing what you're getting and then you well, figure it out that. and it's like holy shit that is a lot luckily it was very early on in the trial she they weren't able to save the juries from seeing some of the initial photographs changed her plea early on and the jury yeah. was dismissed which was lucky for them they gave 60 potential jurors the option to back down mm-hmm. before they even started the trial because of how horrific it was yeah. only five of them took it yeah. and the some of the ones that ended up getting chosen ended up walking out after yeah. the first day you know the three of us would have been like no we'll stay more of a curiosity and we would have all been okay we would have stuck it through it kind of reminds me of the case that you told i can't remember which one but during our christmas special where all of the jury that were involved in the one case were excused from any future jury duty ever for the remainder of their lives like i feel like that's something that these people were probably offered to Uh, megan that was awesome thank you for that that was really yeah that was oh like i I know this one and i'm like i've read about it before but like you just telling telling the and i heard about it but (laughs) i hadn't gone in depth into the case so it was uh that's nuts yeah yeah, so I kind of want to watch Silence of the Lambs now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys, thank you so much for joining us and listening to yet another episode. Um, I apologize. We've had some glitches in the last little bit here, but we're going to try to sort through all that so uh, we have a more streamlined experience for you guys yeah. uh, in the future here. Absolutely. But um, you can find us on our socials. We are on uh, TikTok at Homebrew Murder Crew. We're on Instagram at Homebrew Murder Crew. We're also on Facebook at Homebrew Murder Crew. You can also email us any of your requests or just to say hello to your hosts. Our email is homebrewmurdercrew at gmail.com. Send us memes, true crime memes. We love yeah, memes. We love the memes. Yes, yeah. yes, definitely. And also definitely send us your requests if you have a request for an episode because Christy has some news. We got a request. We yeah, got a request. Yeah. We got our first request, guys. So, we made it. Yeah, so um, that's gonna be coming out. Um, I don't know who's telling you next. You're I'm next. next. No, I'm next. next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, Christy's gonna bring you that special request story. So um, we... not story case. 
special request case. We yeah. see you, audience. We hear you. So send in those requests. We will do it for you. And, and we get so hearts. excited when you guys send us requests. It warms the cockles of our hearts. It heart. sure does. <laughs> Maybe totally, below the cockle. Maybe totally, in the sub-cockle yeah. area. It totally <laughs> made our day when we, when we saw that email. Yeah. Like, yeah. So thank you for thank emailing you. in and thank you for joining. We are happy to be here with you. And thank you for our listeners like all around the world. We Absolutely. keep are keeping an eye on that and we just recently got Singapore and that is so exciting. That like, is exciting. Yeah. We're gonna have to get like a map and like, oh, put no. a tap <laughs> and, like new, new country right. again. So we're seeing that. We see you guys. Yeah. We see you guys coast to coast. We appreciate all the world. You. We and appreciate the fuck out of you. Yeah, we do. Ditto. Yeah. <laughs> all, right. all right. We love you guys. We love you. Love you. Talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.